Hello, everyone. During this podcast, we'll be discussing findings from the just-released HRO Today Flash Report, Diversity and Inclusion Workforce Sourcing, Eight Key Takeaways from Improving DNI. I'm Larry Bassanet, Vice President of Market Research with Shared Expertise. We're the publishers of HRO Today, organizers of the HRO Today forums and events, and managers of the HRO Today Association. This report was sponsored by Workforce Logic. Workforce Logic is a global provider of AI-powered workforce intelligence, technology, and services. Workforce Logic solutions include MSP, VMS, RPO, direct sourcing, statement of work management, employer solutions, employment screening services, and much more. For more information, visit workforcelogic.com. With me today is William T. Rollick, Sr., Vice President, Diversity and Inclusion, Workforce Logic. William leads Workforce Logic's diversity and inclusion strategy and advises its clients on how to improve the diverse workforce and built-in first-class human capital management strategies. He has extensive experience helping companies achieve their business goals by leveraging diversity and inclusion initiatives. Welcome, William. Thank you so much, Larry. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, terrific. The report we're going to discuss examines how workforce diversity is factored into decisions about human capital for hiring permanent employees and engaging contingent workers. It also explores the perceptions of the current state of diversity inclusion within organizations. I'm going to touch on some key findings from the report, and then William's going to respond with his take on what the data reveals. So the first thing to discuss, DNI is an organizational priority. In our study, we found out that the vast majority, 90% of organizations have made DNI a priority within their workforce. Almost two-thirds have begun implementing or they're in the advanced stages of implementing DNI plans, while another 7% are further along already seeing positive results from their initiatives. William, would you share your thoughts on that or provide some examples to support that finding? Sure, Larry. I think this is a great opportunity for us to explore the journey of diversity inclusion. You know, we're, we're on a journey. Many organizations are seeing some advancement as we see here. You know, that, that 7% that says they're further along is a suggestive measurement, right? And so it really depends on their goals and the perspectives of what they're bringing into their strategic pillars. I know as we look through the survey results, we're exploring some of those strategic pillars in a little bit more detail, but just from a high level standpoint, you know, the journey has really been centric around two key priorities, you know, workplace, workforce, really talent and, you know, culture. As we continue to build and as this journey builds along with the work that's being done, what we're seeing is that work is transitioning more into, of course, looking at societal issues as well, but also the marketplace. And so when we see true measurement or true movement, it brings about the idea of how is the work impacting the value optimization of organizations. Like we're seeing the richness of great reporting out there from McKinsey and from Harvard Business School showing the impact of those two critical pieces around workforce and talent that's actually growing organization innovation. So when we're talking about those measurements and that type of impact in improving innovations, which is actually improving revenue and growth. And even in, you know, nonprofit organizations, we're talking about mission-based growth. And so those who may be of a fundamental perspective of helping the public or helping in other ways, we see mission growth as well as revenue growth. Organizations are making it an organizational priority and finding success and movement. Again, very suggestive because we're on a journey, 
but we know when we're making impact in either mission growth or revenue growth, cost savings and productivity gains, we find success in diversity inclusion. The component of DNI where most organizations in our study said 83% are investing mm -hmm. is workplace and culture. And by that, I mean celebrations and learning of different mm -hmm. cultures in the workplace. Now, close to that is workforce investment. By that, I mean talent acquisition, mobility, equity, and promotions selected by 77%. So we're almost the same. Right. So what's your take on that? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, the four key categories, we're excited that we had the opportunity to participate in, in the research and really setting a basis from a workforce logic perspective. We believe those four key categories, and I'll say four, we're going to talk about two very quickly here, but the workplace culture, the celebrations, the workforce are two areas in which I believe organizations have a good grasp on as we look beyond those two areas to make impact. And again, we're talking 83% on workplace culture and celebrations and 77% respectively on workforce. On the talent perspective, social responsibility and marketplace was much less. We're going to see a huge inverse in these numbers as we continue along this journey and really the evolution of diversity and inclusion. My feelings and my background and my experiences tell me that it should be the inverse, Larry. And so we should, we should see 83% focused on marketplace. We should see almost the inverse of these numbers as we drive two points. One, being best in class and being best in industry. It's what drives a successful workforce. It's what drives a successful recruiting initiative. And a lot of people are starting at the basis of the initiative or the strategic objective and not the overall objective of the organization. So when we begin to shift this mindset around diversity and inclusion to marketplace, the overall business strategy and how those strategic objectives affect the overall business strategy, then we will see an inverse in these numbers. I think we'll see a much more growth in marketplace as we go on. I think it's the application that organizations are still struggling with to get beyond diversity as a, I'll call it a philosophy and not a policy because that's yeah. truly what it is, to move beyond the level of compliance and workforce workplace and move to economic value, innovation, and business integration. And when they add those top three levels around economic value, where diversity drives revenue, where diversity drives mission, leveraging the employees for innovation and moving the organization forward and the overall business strategy, then we'll see a lot more movement in marketplace. I think it's just the understanding of where we are on the journey. People are getting better at the workplace culture activities and of course, workforce. You know, We're looking at that from a strategic perspective and being much more understanding and driving toward total inclusion, which is you know, kind of this evolution again from where we began in human capital management, like human capital strategies now toward total inclusion. And so keeping total inclusion in mind, I think that's why workforce is so very highly compared to workplace culture right now. You said you use the phrase marketplace three or four times there, trying to tie the results to the dollars and cents, business results, right? That's right. That's right. We're going to come back in a second here and talk about sure. some goals and benchmarks. I want to cover one area there before we, we get there. Another one of our findings ties in closely with Workforce Logic's mission. While the workforce diversity is often a factor in the selection of permanent employees, and our survey said 
two thirds, basically. It's right. only considered in the selection of temporary workers 44% of the time. Should it be more important? Should it be a bigger factor with yeah, labor? Absolutely, Larry. You know that I think the mindset is on speed the service, right? And so, you know, one of the that's one of the top things we talk about at Workforce Logic is speed to service, but also having some total talent intelligence. And when we talk about total talent intelligence, it's truly understanding what our clients' needs and wants are around talent. Total talent intelligence is looking at the entire workforce of the organization and helping them understand a methodology or setting a methodology around goal setting. So understanding two major aspects of this. And I'll give this quickly here, but one, we know that our clients want to be better than industry from a workforce demographics perspective in gender, ethnicity, working across those boundaries to LGBTQ disabilities and veterans as well. We know they want a richness of America's available workforce in order to secure the best talent available. We understand that. And by understanding that, we have the ability now to source and screen and our total talent intelligence, our AI piece of the business here, the family is able to, you know, tell us where that talent is, you know, very quickly and being able to really assess so much from compensation to tenure to university status. We run over 40,000 data points, over a million data points a month in which we're able to know the movement. So we have our true finger on the pulse. The big piece here, Larry, around looking at this temporary worker strategy is understanding where the business goals are around their talent. I think the soundbite here is really temporary worker is a temporary strategy. We have to change that mindset that temporary workers are a perm worker strategy. So if we're looking at a perm workforce, both from a skill set and application of what do we want our demographics to look like, we have to begin that journey in the temporary worker format. And that's something we understand. And by understanding that, we can set a prescriptive strategy based on our total talent intelligence of where to look, where to find, what's the right messaging, who's interested in perm, who's interested in temporary employment, and prepare a prescriptive strategy that will actually garner that workforce that our clients are looking for. So it's a lot of great information out there. We know there's big data everywhere, but that big data now, we have the opportunities with those patents that you mentioned earlier to really deep dive and find those opportunities to fill that void, not only on the contingent side of the house, but then also on the perm as well, which is where the big focus has always been. Um, But we know we have clients now that up to, we have some clients up to 54% of their perm workforce comes from their contingent labor. And so without having a strategy for contingent labor from a demographic perspective to feed into that permanent workforce, that's where, you know, we find a huge blind spot that's out there. So helping our clients understand that strategy, build a prescriptive strategy for the continued workforce to feed that pipeline with the permanent, you know, is a huge win for us as we have more information and being able to, again, source through that big data. So almost, almost every company gets some of their permanent workforce from their contingent, some percentage. That's right. Most of companies in our study confirmed this have goals, diversity goals for their permanent employees, of course. But then we saw only 16% have goals for their contingent workforce. You're saying you've got a solution, but here we're seeing only 16% realize there's even a problem there. How are you going to fix that? You're saying we've got the solution to something most people aren't too worried about just yet. Exactly, Larry. You know, it's pretty interesting. One of the things that we're finding is in our dialogue that we're having with clients 
is around this particular issue. And we find it very important that we share that with them as we set goals, as we set, and I say goals around staffing goals, as we set service level agreements, understanding talent in the markets in which we live, work, and play. There is a very different strategy. And these are the conversations that our program leaders are having on site. And those who are working with remote employees, we're having those conversations that really centric around there is a different strategy for New York City as it is for Cedar Rapids, Iowa, San Diego, and Miami, and you know other places in between. And so as we're having those conversations, we are helping them understand and get a better understanding of the methodology in which they should be applying as relates to being better than industry and looking like the places we live, work, and play. And so that's really helping them get a gauge and plotting themselves between those two measurements. And we really look at industry as a low measurement, right? Because that's insular. I mean, that external measurement is our marketplace or DMA or designated market area. So really helping them understand that and plot themselves within there helps us go on a better strategy and understanding our marketplace. So we're not arbitrarily setting goals or setting numbers that are not relative to their marketplace, their business unit marketplace. Great segue, because I was going to ask about benchmarks. Organizations are struggling with establishing benchmarks. Right. In our study, 38%, so just over a third, felt mm-hmm. their organizations understand how it compares in workforce diversity against peers and against competitors. And less than one in five said they felt their organization is leading the industry in workforce diversity, probably because they don't actually know what anybody else is doing, so they can't say they're leading it. Why are the goals so hard? You know, goal setting has been a challenging aspect, not only from a talent perspective or talent acquisition, human resources, but also from a diversity perspective. I think the best measurement or the best methodology out there, or the best process, I will say, that we're instituting in the work that we do now is really four key areas, Larry. One is measurement, understanding what the workforce looks like today, right? That's one that we all have. We know what the workforce looks like from a demographics perspective, gender, et cetera, and all of the EEO categories. Biggest challenge uh, in this, I would say, the four-step process, measurement, methodology, strategic alliances, understanding where the talent is, going after that talent, setting the right messaging, but then also risk mitigation as that fourth piece. The biggest challenge here in that four-step process is a methodology. Many of those organizations out there, because again, only 38% felt their organization understands how it compares, right? And so, so many organizations have a fear of setting a methodology that says, you know, we're going to draw the line in the sand and we want to look like this. And the biggest problem with that is, again, as we talked about that big data, bringing that big data down to really understand what their industry looks like, being able to compare their industry to other competitive corporations, and understanding what the, not necessarily the availability, but setting a marker that gives them geographical equity. Those are the critical components. And those components that we are helping organizations understand and have the ability to help them understand with data is that it's okay to set markers. And those markers are fluid. And I think that's the hard point that we're challenged with now that we have many companies that are setting arbitrary goals without a basis of understanding industry and their market. And so geographical equity is very important in that. We have a lot of companies that are saying, you know, we want 30% more women by 2030. But what is that number based on? Is that a aggregate number for all the United States? Are they using census? Are they using DMA? There's so many data points that are out there. What we're doing is just really understanding what's been set by, you know, we'll call it Executive Order 11246 (laughs) from OFCCP, you know, and it's about 
find a solid measurement in your environment that you can measure yourself against and be consistent. And that's something that Department of Labor has really set and carved in stone that I think is a phenomenal way to do this work. Many experts, many researchers have worked on that executive order. Many of us in staffing and other organizations and other industries has challenged OFCCP around that. And so again, whether an organization is a federal contractor or not, it's a sound methodology. It's a sound system that we're using to put measurements to methodologies in place. Again, that's fluid because strategies that are based in a large metropolitan area versus a uh, smaller or a second tier DMA are going to be very different. And so helping them understand that and bringing those two measurements about is where we're doing this work right now, which we have clients that are now that are taking this data, taking these measurements, having the ability to express where they are on this journey toward geographical equity back to their C-suite, as well as being able to take this data and put it back into presentations to present to their board of directors. And so we feel very good and very confident that through our AI, through our total talent intelligence, having an understanding of the marketplace, both from a demographic standpoint, from an industry standpoint, as well as that geographical equity based on where the business unit is located. We feel very confident that we've set a methodology now that we can move that percentage to a much higher percentage of those who will feel comfortable goal setting. And again, feel comfortable drawing that line in the sand around a solid methodology. You know that in a lot of boardrooms, these numbers come from someone saying 20%. Someone else goes, no, 25%. And then they all yeah. say, that's what they run with. Yes, very arbitrary. Very, it's, yeah. been, it's been very arbitrary, unfortunately. And, you know, it, it calls for spikes. We move women from 2% to 4%, you know, and we have 100% increase in women. Well, that's not the expression we would want. The expression we would want is what is your percentage of industry? You know, yeah. what if this is 100% of industry, what is that perspective? And if it, your DMA, if your DMA is 100% and, you know, you're at 70 and we know you have 70% of the DMA and you have a 30% gap. And so it's a much better expression of the numbers when we're looking at that perspective versus arbitrary. So that measurement of the organization against industry and that measurement of the organization against geographical equities, where we have the ability to tap into that big data and give some real value and real numbers. So you can go back to those to the executive and C-suite and have a very sound methodology as a talent, global talent leader, or as a talent executive, building that internal strategy to have a very sound methodology and measurements. Again, we have measurements. The sound methodology is going to be most important. We have, again, the ability to know where to go, where to seek out that talent. And of course, you know, some advisory in the process around risk mitigation, because once we bring them to the table, we want them to stay, of course. We want long tenure in that process and continuing to move to be better in industry, best in class, and look like the places we live, work, and play. Well, William, I have the impression that with your passion for this and your expertise that we could talk for hours. We could, Larry. <laughs> but we can't do that. What we can do, though, is encourage everyone to go in and, and download the report. It can be found at hrotoday.com backslash research. It has a whole lot more detail on this. It goes over the study more detail and some great insight there that William provided. Uh, and I think it's worth the time to give it a quick read. So that's it for today. Uh, I'd like once again, thank my guest, William T. Rollick, Senior VP of diversity and inclusion, workforce logic. This is a topic that there's certainly much more to go into, not just with our report, but in general, I encourage everyone to take the time to do so. And thank you for everyone that's that's listening. And again, thank you, William, for joining us. Thank you, Larry. Much appreciated.